0: Hey, thanks so much for listening in to The Better Podcast. This week, I'm joined by some of the best athletes in Asia who will be competing at the Pacific Regionals. Before we see them take the floor, though, I get to ask them a few questions about how they got started with CrossFit, and that sort of led on to other topics that I think you guys will find very interesting. Another thing special about this week is that this is part one of five daily episodes that will be released throughout the week before the regional start. So instead of tuning in every Monday, you can go ahead and check your podcast supplier for a fresh new episode every noon. And hopefully this will tide you through and get you excited for the weekend to come. And if you can't wait to find out what guest is going to speak on what day, you can pop on over to the Better Podcast Instagram where the full lineup has been published and you won't have to second guess or miss any of the episodes. Today we have with us Elise Richmond from Unit 27 Phuket, Thailand. And we chat a little bit about how she got into CrossFit, qualified for regionals, but was unable to attend two years ago, and now is back to handle some unfinished business. Um, The title of this podcast is How to Get Really Good at Fitness Without Obsessing Over It or Letting It Consume Your Life. Over the course of the next hour or so, you'll hear stories from her illustrious past, She was a dancer, she was into bodybuilding, she did powerlifting for a little while, and and excelled at almost every single field that she went into while paying a very, very high price. So, I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did, and if you like what you hear, she has her own podcast called The Soy Sauce, which is hosted by herself and her partner Luke Richman from One Life, One Chance. Thank you for spending some time with us, Elise, and welcome. Thank
1: you so much for having me, Mel.
0: Yeah, no worries. Uh, I wanted to start off today's episode by talking a little bit about your, your background you shared with us on the second episode of The Soy Sauce, and I was so pulled into that story. Could you give us a, a quick condensed version of that for people who have not listened to it?
1: Yeah, for sure. So quick overview. I started off as a dancer. I was super passionate about musicals and I just wanted to be on stage. So um, I studied dance full time um, and had a short stint being a professional dancer. And um, I guess that's kind of where like my body issues sort of started to stem from. Um, it's a very competitive world and it's all about what you look like. And it was kind of almost inevitable a little bit Um, So I did the dancing thing, didn't make much money and realized I needed to eat food somehow. So um, kind of stemmed into personal training. um, And that was in 2008, 2009. Um, So, yeah, started personal training and went down that track and sort of um, delved into what I could do with my body and what I could do to inspire clients and that kind of thing. And that kind of led me to uh, the bodybuilding world. Um, so I dabbled in bodybuilding for a little bit, doing, um, figure for IFBB and, uh, fitness for WBFF, um, and did quite well in that, but, um, it really brought up some serious, uh, issues with binge eating and bulimia, Mm -hmm. um, which was a bit of a tough gig, when you are a coach yourself, when you're mm-hmm. a personal trainer, and you're you're the one who should be preaching health and um, t- to all your clients, and and you're in the background really struggling, so I kind of had to pull myself away from it for a little bit just to get myself better,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that's where I kind of slipped into powerlifting uh, a manager of mine at the time after my fitness comps, I guess he could probably see that I was struggling a little bit and he was like, look, you're strong. You've got the legs. Let's go lift some heavy shit. I was like, okay, let's do this. And I just loved it. And I was for the first time in a long time. I was using my body for doing what it was built for and just lifting heavy things and, and just feeling really good about myself. Um, I guess That was kind of the time that I met Luke as well, my now husband. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was opening up a CrossFit gym Mm -hmm. in Sydney there in Moines, One Life, One Chance, and um, asked me to come on board as their body fit coach, so not CrossFit. I was still into powerlifting, but that was kind of my first, this was 2014, 15. Mm -hmm. Um, That was kind of my first introduction to CrossFit and Yeah. And then kind of kept rolling from there.
0: I feel like you're skimming through the point where, uh, we talk about how you started doing CrossFit in 2015 and then immediately within your first open place, fourth in the region and went to regionals.
1: Yeah. So it was, (laughs) it was, and, and I think that's where the powerlifting really came into play there. And I've always been sporty and I've always been athletic, um, but having that really solid strength foundation, mm-hmm. um, having those like the deadlift, the squat, the bench, um, and coming from a dancing background, like I wasn't a spastic with <laughs> <gymnastics> <laughs> movements and that kind of thing as well. That usually like, helps. Quite yeah. body coordinated. Um, but yeah, so I didn't really actually do CrossFit. I actually got a job as a CrossFit coach over here in Thailand before I'd done CrossFit. I'm
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, not sure if you're allowed to tell that. Yeah, i like, sh-
1: but um yeah so started crossfit when we moved to Thailand in 2015 and yeah managed to um hit the open uh 8 months later and and <laughs> in the fourth place so that was that was pretty cool that was awesome to see what i could do
0: that's nuts um there's a, i have a lot of questions i've i've heard the story in detail in your 20 minute uh kind of lowdown on on how you got to where you are today but I want to kind of peel back a little bit and talk about the eating disorders.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so it's unco- It's not common for people to think of themselves as having this eating disorders if they're not exhibiting the main signs of it. Like, oh, I'm not. You know, I'm not throwing up. I'm not like whatever. I don't Thin have eating disorders. Or- exactly. Yeah. I'm not like a skeleton, right? Mm-hmm. I'm fine but they're obsessively counting like every single thing they put in their mouth. They get anxiety attacks. If they go to a restaurant without knowing the menu. Yeah. How would you def- define eating disorders?
1: So an eating disorder and disordered eating is sort of two separate things. One, um, and I, I do have a lot of clients with disordered eating, but not an actual eating disorder. Um, and so what I mean by eating disorders is the bulimias, the anorexias, and these are clinically, um, like you've clinically been diagnosed with this eating disorder.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then the disordered eating side of things are the things that you were talking about, always mm-hmm. checking the menus and being really pedantic about your food and almost overhealthifying um, food. Like, mm-hmm. I can't eat brown rice, but I can eat quinoa and things like that where people are like, should I boil my chicken or should I roast my chicken? It's like, whoa, 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 where are we here? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I'm, and I'm going to do this a lot. I'm going to forget what your question was and just go off on tangents.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. My question was, what? what's your definition of disorder eating or eating disorder? Yeah. You can give us so, both.
1: Yeah, and I mean, so for myself, I was clinically di- diagnosed with bulimia and um, that was, um, you'd think if you went into um, a doctor and they sort of said, look, this is what you have and that kind of thing that you would go, whoa, like it would wake you up in some sort of sense. But I was like, yeah, what of it? Yeah, throw <laughs> I throw up. i I'm trying to be skinny, like just... Get off get off my case. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a really important thing that, like, as many of the people around you are saying, we want you to get better, we want you to get better, you really have to want to get better with those kind of things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but the first step is being aware that you have some some sort of issue around food. Um, and that's where the eating disorder, disordered eating, it's like you have to be aware that this is a problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, How does somebody become aware that it's a problem? Because like you said, you were so laser focused on your goal, which was to look really good on stage. Yeah. Um, And no amount of convincing would have gotten you to the point where you're like, I've got to change this. This is wrong. Yeah. Because you know that was your goal. Your goal was 12 minutes of glory.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it came down to I was really sick. (laughs) Like I actually – you start to feel – um, very sick your hair gets really thin um, your teeth start from all the vomiting your teeth start to get um, really fragile and brittle at the back um, and I was exhausted I I had terrible relationships um, mm. so it starts to you start to at a point well I started to see the rest of my life and go whoa okay outside of bodybuilding, what's the rest of my life looking like right now, it's a really sad life
0: mm. and it's not
1: fun and I cannot do this for the next 60 years. Like this is not what life is about. Um, so I think for me after my second bodybuilding competition um, where I binged my way through it, um, I was throwing up through it um, and for me it was just like, got to get to my goal, got to get to my goal and once that goal was done, I was like, oh what's in my life? Like I've, right. I've screwed up my relationships. I barely had any friends. Cause I was like, I don't want to go out because I need to eat my Tupperware fish. Um, so yeah, I think that bodybuilding scene is also a really dangerous place for anyone that has disordered eating um, mm-hmm. or any signs of disordered eating, but also mm-hmm. for anyone that has a really healthy body relationship as well. Mm. Which can kind of lead them down that disorderly I, track.
0: I think this is a great segue for us to talk a little bit about that episode you made on health versus weight. Yeah. Um I really enjoyed that episode because I think people people think of health markers as secondary to weight markers. Yes. So things like, Oh, did I sleep? Oh, I can sleep when I'm dead, right? <laughs> like I yeah. Yeah, what's the quality of my food? No, I'm hitting my macros. That's all I need to look at, right? Because those things are quite measurable. Mm. Like the, the, there's a number to the weight. There, is no, there are numbers to the macros. And so they feel a false sense of control. Yeah. Uh, like if I just do this and everything else will fall in place, but the quality of, of what they're doing is not. It's kind of like hitting reps in the gym, but doing it wrongly.
1: <laughs> like, yeah,
0: you're hitting the right performance <laughs> <Really>. metrics. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But it's not exactly going to get your butt stronger or like your, your body to look like the way you want it to. Uh, yes. So can you talk a little bit about what it means to be healthy versus what it means to way look healthy or look yeah. good?
1: Well, that's a really interesting point because when I was bodybuilding, arguably, depending what you're into... I was in the best shape of my life. I was lean as hell. Like I was 8% body fat, which is ridiculous. (laughs) Meanwhile, I lost my menstrual cycle. I, like I mentioned, everything was just kind of crashing down around me. But on the outside, like people looked at me and like, whoa, like I want to look like you. (laughs) I don't do it. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, I was the smallest I've ever been. I think I got down to like 57 kilos, which for me is really tiny. Um, um, but I was so unhealthy. There was no element of me that was healthy. And I think, and I ask my clients this a lot. I'm like, step back and list me. When I say health, tell me what, you think of when I say health and they usually start really simply um but then it starts to get this bigger and bigger circle of oh okay well like having sex with my partner and um going out regularly and enjoying weddings and you know like the, the circle just keeps going and going and going when you talk about health and very rarely do they say what they weigh
0: mm.
1: Um, when you like actually pinpoint it and ask them, what is health for you? What does healthy mean? Um, so for me, that bodybuilding, and I think I stepped away from it and just went, at oh, least what are you doing? You're in the health and fitness industry. You stood on that stage. You were, you'd lost your period. You were so sad. You literally cried the day before you like broke up with your boyfriend three days before it and you were so unhealthy and you couldn't squat shit <laughs> Like, you couldn't even lift a barbell like i was so tired that health and fitness didn't even play a role in that bodybuilding setting for me um so i think people get so wrapped up in this oh what can i do with my body oh it's, i've got to do a bodybuilding competition and this is what I'm starting to see is a lot of people new to fitness are like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do a bodybuilding competition.
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: that's not health and fitness. That's mm-hmm. not what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so far away from it that I can't even describe. Um, but we're so fixated on weight and what we look like that we've just totally lost the whole meaning of health and fitness. And that's what like gets me fired up about this industry is I want to I want to swap it around again.
0: Right. Um, so, but for the majority of people listening, they might not be thinking, oh, I'm going to go do a body body. I I don't want to do a bodybuilding competition. I just want to look good. I just want to see my abs. What's wrong with that? Right. And taking those concrete steps of like obsessing over every single detail is how they justify wanting to meet their goal. Um, at the expense of losing their health and everything, um, as a personal trainer, what are your, some of your values uh, with regards to allowing your clients to throw that out of the window so that they can see their abs for a summer? Uh,
1: so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the evolution of me as a personal trainer has been huge. Like, I was prepping girls for bodybuilding bu- competitions back when I was doing it. Mm-hmm. And now I, I blanketly refuse to because um, – and I literally, I've just run my first Boss Chicks program, which is all about um, mindset and mm-hmm. health as at the forefront of um, any sort of approach you take to uh, bettering yourself mm-hmm. um, and and really focusing on uh, what are the health markers for you, how are we going to hit those markers, and then as a bonus you might get some abs from it Mm -hmm. but how are those abs going to affect your life what in your life is going to change if tomorrow you wake up and you have abs Mm
0: -hmm.
1: are you going to break up with your boyfriend and go and seek out someone even better because now you have abs or are you going to you know like what what are those what do the abs mean for you in your life um so that's kind of Without being like, no, you can't have abs. How like, how dare you want abs? Because like, shit, like everyone. Everyone wants, wants abs. <laughs> like, yeah, and you can't, you can't just poo-poo someone's goals because, yeah. um, because that's that's. What and I think
0: want. that kind of alienates you from your client too if you do that because then they're gonna they're gonna feel like you're judging them for wanting it, and sure. it closes that window of vulner- vulnerability and doesn't allow for authenticity in your in your relationship with them then it's going to be well i really kind of want health and then they do everything in the opposite direction of pursuing that health and um yeah cool yeah. uh so what ki- what is that what is that conversation like for you so when you start talking to someone and they're like i want to see my abs this summer and you're like okay so what does that mean for you how does it usually play out
1: um do you know what in saying that it's very rare that i get a girl now well mm-hmm. I, I normally coach women um coming up to me and saying that yeah. only because they know my views right
0: okay. so
1: um i actually haven't like i can't say i have had that conversation mm. often mm-hmm. um but i mean yeah i mean the first thing i would say is like why do you want the abs
0: mm-hmm like, I guess the question that I'm kind of the rabbit hole I want to dive into is the psyche behind the obsession what yeah. why do people obsess over this so much and why does why do they think that this is the be-all end-all and yeah. from my perspective as a trainer as well in Singapore is that a lot of people use that as a sense of judgment for their self-worth like they feel like their their social status would increase Mm. If they had a set of abs, they looked Mm. better, they could have better friends, they could have better standing with society, uh, be more attractive, obviously, and and be more employable, all that. They feel like all those things will come to them if they can fix this one thing in their life. Mm. And that's not true. We know that's not true.
1: Yeah. And I think um, being a human is really hard because we all have bodies. Mm-hmm. but we all don't have skill sets that allow us to attain whatever we think is the um, ideal body
0: mm-hmm. and
1: everyone's ideal body is totally different. Some uh, Heaps of women look at me and go, Oh, no way. Mm-hmm. Don't want that. Um, which is fine. But I mean, and as an accountant, you have accounting skills, like that mm-hmm. is what you do. And uh, people seek you out for your accounting skills, but then the accountant still wants a six pack. Mm -hmm. Whereas me as a CrossFit athlete, I don't want to be a really good accountant (laughs) because I don't have to wear my accountancy out on my external layer every single day. Um, And I think like we just kind of get so obsessed with everyone judging us on what we look like. Whereas most people walk past us and don't even care. (laughs) And I think that's the thing we forget is no one cares. It's like no one actually cares (laughs) Um, about like how often do you flash your six pack at someone and be like, well, look, (laughs) is that what you're going to do when you're walking around in like.
0: It's true that no one cares, but it's also true that people care because they see it as a mirror to themselves. Yeah. Like when they look at you, they feel bad. Not they don't feel envious of you, but they feel bad about themselves and their own state. So yeah. even when they're thinking of you, they're not thinking of you. Yeah, they're thinking they're of not. themselves. Yeah, um, well, that's cool. I think that kind of brings me to talk to 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 the point where we're um, sorry. I think that brings me to your goals. Mm-hmm. So your goals obviously have changed dramatically since your bodybuilding days and your powerlifting days. What are some of your goals personally right now? And uh, how are you kind of living that up?
1: Um, Well, my first goal is to actually make it to the floor at Regionals because I didn't get there in 2016. So, um, yeah, for me, just making it to that Regionals floor is a huge goal of mine, which I didn't really realize was a big goal still until... I was going through the open and I was like, holy moly, like I I, I might make this again. Mm-hmm. And then it was that unfinished business sort of mentality of, well, I didn't get to make it last time. I don't want to die wondering. So, yeah, making it to the regionals floor is one of my goals.
0: Can you tell um, us why you didn't make it to the regionals floor uh, when you first got there?
1: Yeah, so 2016, uh, in the lead up of the week before, I... Um, was just practicing one of the workouts and I just caught a clean wrong and just sort of like teared my thumb apart Um, and yeah, and just injured my wrist and I just had no grip and I just, I couldn't do it. And everyone's like, Oh, just give it a cortisol injection. You'll be right and get to the floor. And I was like, nah, I've got way too much other stuff on to like warrant having an injury for a year.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: So yeah, that was like, it was a bummer, but everything happens for a reason. So um, yeah. So just making it there and in, in two weeks time will be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, following that, uh, we have, we're heading over to Europe. So me and my husband are heading over to Europe for his book tour, mm-hmm. um, which we've been wanting to get over to Europe to do some climbing for ages. So that will be awesome. We're just going to grab a van and, and cruise around, but then following that is, um, our next big expedition, which will be, Um, In India, we're going to climb a 7,000-meter peak in the north of India and then grab some kayaks and um, make our way down the entire Ganges.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. It sounds like a full year uh, of of adventures for you guys.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we try to plan it that way. Otherwise, um, we try to back things up. Like, you know, it's like a big day, like a wedding or something. You put all this attention on the wedding and then it's over and you're like... Whoa! what am I doing with my (laughs) life so we try try to just sort of pyramid it and just keep adding and adding and adding
0: when did this uh when when did all the adventures start
1: for me personally Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um so it kind of started when I met Luke um as you mentioned like Luke has been doing expeditions for over a decade now and that's kind of his jam and it's his thing and I think before I met him, I always like, I always had this sort of, I love the outdoors and I love doing all those things, but it always had kind of been stifled a little bit. Um, and when I met him, it was just like, oh, all right, let's 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 go do some things. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's sort
1: of make a checklist and a bucket list and, and go check things off. And he kind of gave me the confidence to be able to just find something you want to do and go and do it. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, he, he kind of kicked it all off for me.
0: Cool. I want to talk about, you You share a little bit about what you, how you guys met on your podcast, and I'm going to let the listeners go to your podcast for that. Um, it is a Tinder love story, guys, so it's worth listening to. Uh, I, want, I want to ask, what was your first date with Luke Light?
1: My first date with Luke? Um, he, well, he was um, building his gym back then. So he was just waiting on things to get moving and stuff. So it was kind of like unemployed. Um, <laughs> so he's, I was working in a gym in the city and he was like, oh, what are you doing tomorrow? Let's meet up. And he's like, name a time. I'm like, oh, this guy's very available. <laughs> um, but yeah, he just met me, um, at my gym and we just went for a coffee. And interestingly enough, I hate this like whole oh, love at first sight. But at the day I met him, I was like, yeah, this guy's definitely different. Like there's definitely something here. Um, but yeah, he was my first ever Tinder date and, uh, married the guy. And and last ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: that's, that's cool. What, uh, what did you guys talk about?
1: Oh my God. I can't even remember. It was probably along the lines of,
0: how did he give you that impression that he's, he's different? Um,
1: he was just really sure of himself. He was just really confident in what he was doing. He wasn't boasty, but he was like very like forthcoming and um bright blue eyes. No. <laughs> 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 yeah, just oh, I <laughs> wish this
0: was a I, I wish this was not a an audio podcast. People need to see how much you're blushing right now. <laughs> um <laughs> that's that's cool. And so you guys met, and he charmed your socks off. You decided to go work for him, and follow him to Thailand. That was yeah. sort of your story with him so far.
1: Yeah, essentially. So he um, he worked over in Thailand, uh, two thousand and eleven and twelve, um, and yeah, and basically, long story short, we were running this gym in Des Moines, and and we were just exhausted we were seven days a week just like 5 a.m starts and just you know doing the thing and doing the grind and he sort of was just like oh I'm just not happy mm-hmm. <laughs> and in our gym back there we had all of his it was a bit of a shrine to Luke um adventure photos all up on the wall so from when he climbed all the summits and that kind of thing and every day he'd kind of look at them and um he's just like oh i'm just not happy and i was just like well when was the last time you were happy and he said when he was in thailand so we just made the decision to sell everything up and and sell the car and get rid of the gym and and move over here to thailand and we were lucky enough that um unit 27 over here gave us a job Mm. So, yeah.
0: Cool. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your first adventure, which was hiking across the Gobi Desert. Um, you talked a bit about thinking that you would be mentally unprepared, but realizing that you were actually physically unprepared. <laughs> Can you yeah. tell us a bit more about that uh, realization?
1: Yeah, for sure. So just like a bit of background, we, um, me and my husband last year with another friend, Matt Bennett, we walked – Uh, across the Mongolian portion of the Gobi Desert, so it was about 1,800 kilometres. We designed our own carts and um, hauled all our own food and water and gear, and we were essentially going from well to well to um, stay alive. Um, So it took us 57 days um, all up, which um, we kind of banked on like maybe 60, 65 days, so we are pretty close in terms of like how much food we needed and that kind of thing. But, yeah, I mean, it was my first expedition. I kind of – I was really confident for the fact that I had Luke there with me. Um, But in saying that, like, I was training like a beast, like, CrossFit every day, feeling really fit. Mm. I was like, yeah, I got this. Like, (laughs) walking, whatever. Meanwhile, like, our carts weighed about 160 kilos, so we're dragging 160 kilos from the start. And, like, I'd done a few tyre drags and, like – the like uh, ready for anything card, but man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I think the first day we walked, so we we're aiming for like forty k's a day to hit it in our target time. Mm-hmm. Um, the first day we walked eight kilometers and were just gone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I remember sitting in the tent, looking at Luke, going, "I, I, I can't do this." And mm-hmm. I was just like. I never thought my physical body um, mm-hmm. would be the one that's like letting me down because
0: mm-hmm. I was just
1: aching all over. I was sick. I was like I couldn't keep food down. I'd like given mm-hmm. myself heat stroke. Like it was just right. like, all over disaster. Oh. But, yeah, and then like things like that repetitive motion for 57 days, mm-hmm. things just start falling apart. Like your body is just it's a machine, but man, it like, it takes a beating. So, um, yeah, it was just that physical aspect of it. I just,
0: I how couldn't... did you get out of that hole of, I can't do this. Like that was day one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was like, And I mean, like you, you prepare for like so many months before it and, and, um, pain is so fleeting. Like you have a huge sleep that night. I just think we slept for like 12 hours or something And the body repairs itself. The body is so incredible that it just, like, you have a big feed and you sleep for 12 hours and, like, you wake up and you go, oh, uh, okay, I feel all right. And then by the end of the next day you feel like hell again and then you (laughs) sleep and then, like, it's just this, like, weird little cycle. But, um, yeah, it's like you either keep walking or you are stuck in the middle of the Gobi Desert. (laughs) <laughs> you can't get out, um so yeah, there wasn't a huge amount of choice
0: but it's, i I thought it was interesting that you said you know you you just eat some food, you take some rest, and then you go out again tomorrow. It's sort of the same mantra that you do with fitness and your goals, right, because if you focus so hard on I have how many clicks left, are you kidding? Yeah. how <laughs> many days that's yeah, uh, focusing on that outcome sometimes can be the thing that causes you to not get it.
1: a thousand percent it goes for anything for um if you're trying to lose heaps of weight or if you're trying to get to the regionals or if you whatever um you can't look at the end you just you will overwhelm yourself every single second of the day and i've i've always done that with my goals you get your goal you find where you are now and where you're trying to be and then you just break it up and you work back and you've got to break it into those little sections and i Mm. think that um I mean, expeditions, that expedition taught me so much about everything, but um, that was something Luke had said to me in the beginning. He was like, don't even think about the end. It's not about the end. We're going to break the days down. So we're going to have, say, 40Ks a day and then we're going to break it down even more. We're going to have 90-minute sessions and then we're going to break those 90-minute sessions down. And you're just literally thinking about that next 10 Mm -hmm. steps so you don't overwhelm yourself and I Mm -hmm. think applying that to any goal you are trying to do is you have to otherwise you just lose the plot and go oh I'm so far away you're always going to be so far away there's always (laughs) going to be something further and further for you to reach Um, but yeah you just got to break it down
0: so when you got to the end of that hike how did you feel Oh, it was like, it's like the same thing as like a
1: CrossFit workout. You get to the end and you go, hmm, probs could have pushed a bit more. <laughs> but, you know, like you get to the end and because of the elation and you finished and all this kind of stuff, you're like, I feel good. Let's go for a run. No. Um, <laughs> but, no, it was just, I was just so, so overwhelmingly proud of myself for getting it done. Um, and it was the funniest thing because, like, um, We got to the end and like, there was no finish line. It's just like, well, we're stopping at this town. Um, so there was no we,
0: fanfare. There was no big no, ribbon to run across.
1: God, no, there was no one. This town was like shantytown, um, middle of nowhere. There was like this skeleton dog like walking past. We're like, we finished, we finished, yay. We took some like photos and stuff. And then there's just like this old guy walking past, staring at us like, what the hell is going on? And like, there was no fanfare. There was no celebration. But in us, we were just like, hey, look what we just did. That's awesome. Um, and we just, you just realize you just, you don't need, um, you don't need that celebration from other people when what you're doing is so like precious to you and means something to you. And I think that's really helpful for me with regionals, even though there's going to be a huge crowd and all that kind of thing. It's like, whatever you're doing, as long as it means something to you, then it's going to be special. Whether you fall flat on your face or like, you know, like that, that's what it's going to be about.
0: So I'm going to kind of zoom out that goal a little bit um, and ask the question, you have one life, you have one chance, right? In terms of the macro or the macro view of what your goal is for your life, what do you want it to look like? And how do you break that down into, you know, very sizable chunks that you can then act on?
1: Yeah, so um, I think this this is this has come from me and Luke have kind of come to this conclusion that we're going (laughs) to die. But um, let's bring that forward. Let's say we're going to die in five years time, every just five year block. That's what we now try to live our lives in. Um, Because God, like who knows, who knows? And everyone's, everyone I meet is planning for like this 40 year block. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, what about now? Like
0: what,
1: what happens in this, this next five years? So that's how me and Luke try and organize our life and and plan our experiences and, and, and figure out what we want to get done in this five years. Mm -hmm. If we get this done in that five years, then stoked. Okay. What's the next five years? What's the next five years? And it just sort of cancels out that, um, that retirement noise of, Oh, but when I'm 70, it's like, yeah, but when you're 70, you might not have legs. Like you (laughs) you don't know. So um, we just kind of try to live our life by that five-year rule.
0: You're really big on systems, putting systems in place um, to make sure that you get to your goal. So what are some of the systems you put in place for your five-year block?
1: Yeah. And I mean, for me, I was thinking about this the other day, it's kind of more a case of um, what, what I'll regret. So if I don't do this, will I regret it? If I do do this, will I regret it? Um, So I kind of try to look at like 50 year old Elise and have her look back at everything I do and go, you didn't take that opportunity. You're an idiot. Um, And that's kind of where regionals came from. And, and that kind of thing, like, um, the one life, one chance. It's like, yeah, one body, one chance too. So it's mm-hmm. like, well, like I know I'm not old, I'm 30, but mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to put that time and effort into CrossFit um, moving forward. So it's like, get this regionals goal done and then move on mm-hmm. um, and just, and, and tick boxes. And for me, it's all about um, stories and building stories and having stories to tell mm-hmm. Um but yeah, in terms of the systems, I kind of it kind of goes back to that whole like that blocking out. Um, this is where I am. This is where I'm. I'm going mm-hmm. and just take really tiny chunks out of that and seizing
0: and, opportunities and yeah. being present at the moment that you're at.
1: Yeah, just which daily is, things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And enjoying whatever you're doing right now because that's exactly where you are and that's exactly what you're doing. And I think we all live in sort of a a future mentality of, oh, I'm trying to get here and I'm trying to get here. And it's, it's blocking us out from enjoying whatever we're doing now. So yeah, it's so, like, this is the biggest thing I've learned this regionals prep is like just enjoying this whole in the minute, in the process journey.
0: That's cool. Um, Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about regionals. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I think people who are listening are obviously CrossFit, our CrossFit friends around the region. What? How have you felt leading up to this regionals compared to the last? And what's your most anticipated event? Which one do you think you'll do the best in? Ooh.
1: Um, so back in 2016, my lead up was very, very different. Um, I think a big part of that was Luke was actually rowing the Atlantic Ocean at that time. Um, So I'd kind of ripped into the opens with this goal of regionals um, and was prepping while he was rowing the ocean. It was like a lot more stressful having him out there than I thought. Mm. Um, And to be honest, I just didn't enjoy it at all. I didn't enjoy the prep. I didn't enjoy what was happening um, I don't know whether it was cause um, it was more of a, 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 time filler for me until mm. Luke got back um, or if I just hadn't dedicated myself to that goal enough. Mm. Um, but yeah, that prep in comparison to this prep has been totally different and I've um, made the conscious effort to go into this uh, regionals lead up just deciding to have fun. So I had a mantra going into it and I was just like, if you do nothing else, have fun with this. Mm. Um, Because I just didn't have fun the last time. I was like dragging my ass into the gym and doing training that uh, I thought I needed to do because I wasn't like at that level of the other athletes and those kind of things. But this time I've just enjoyed my training and I've obviously worked on weaknesses and stuff, but just in a process that made me really want to love being in the gym. Um, mm. so yeah, this regionals prep has been totally different, which is great. <laughs> but, um, in saying that I'm so excited about Linda cause there's bench press. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Gotta love a good bench.
1: I'm <laughs> like about damn time. Oh. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mean all the workouts are in my wheelhouse. Um, and yeah, there's not, a, I'm not putting that pressure on myself. It's like, my goal is to make regionals. Anything on top of that is a bonus. Of course, I want to be competitive.
0: Um, but yeah, just awesome. Other things um, it's been really amazing chatting to you. And I think a lot of people, I mean, they have so many places to find you and Luke, right? Not just uh, on Instagram, you also have your own podcast where they can listen to you talk about stuff that you're very passionate about nutrition and getting people well in general, um, in your stories, the stories that you guys have accumulated across time. Uh, I think my last question would be for anyone who's listening and thinking, Oh, that's great. That's her life. Right. Um, but I don't have that luxury of living like that. I, it is one life, one chance, and it's too late for me. What kind of, what kind of advice would you give to that person? um and yeah. just tools if you have any
1: yeah um if you have breath in your body it's not too late uh it's really uh it's scary to see people give up at 30 and you're like okay <laughs> let's let's get real guys it's scary <laughs> to see people give up at 50 it's like you can literally completely alter the course of your life at any point in time mm-hmm. um, and that just comes from making a decision um and and not settling and playing that five-year rule of okay what what do i want if i'm gonna die i'm gonna die in five years what am i gonna do with my life Mm -hmm. um what i want to say i've done and achieved um and what do i want to look back and say yeah i did that i am super proud of that um but, yeah, that five-year rule works so well for me and Luke and it's such a simple thing. And if you can't answer um, what you want to do with your life in the next five years um, or what you want to achieve or what you want to be proud of, then that's that's the best place to start.
0: Mm. Um, practically speaking, uh, for people who are wondering how you finance this life. <laughs> yeah. I I bring this up mostly because of one thing. Luke did this really cool thing where he was trying to promote his book and he hitchhiked for, was it 50 days?
1: Yeah, I think he was out there for... For a while. 40 days or something, yeah.
0: And he left with a bunch of books and a thumb. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Great and so for people who think oh I can't have this, I can't do this, I want to chase my dreams but I've got responsibilities, bills to pay and things like that. Um do you think it's a case of them being accustomed to a certain lifestyle and then not wanting to give that up in exchange of their dream?
1: Yeah, uh to a certain extent for sure. I think um I mean, it is real. It, it's hard in a place like, say, Sydney, for example, where everything costs a lot of money, and that's mm-hmm. kind of why we choose to live in Thailand, where we can pay two hundred dollars a month rent, mm-hmm. um, and all-inclusive Wi-Fi and electricity and that kind of thing. You know, there mm-hmm. is there's always options, and I think um, definitely there's like society pressure of um, having a certain car and that kind of thing. But in the end, if it gets you to A to B, then that's what's happening. And that's what our scooter does for us for like, you know, $2. It's (laughs) like, um, but yeah, it's, it's maybe sacrificing certain aspects of your life that you think are making you really comfortable and happy, um, Mm. to find the true happiness in your life.
0: Mm. Um, But it's being willing to say goodbye to those comforts so that you don't, live on your deathbed one day and think, what if?
1: Yeah. And I mean, what is comfort you, once you do away with something for a short amount of time, you actually like can't even remember what life was like with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a great thing about the expeditions as well. It's like you sleep on a really shitty foam mattress and then after a while, it's just your big comfy king size bed and you don't remember what it's like to sleep on a big fluffy bed. Mm-hmm. Um, you just, you adapt and you will always adapt. Um, but, yeah, it's just figuring out exactly what you want and what's going to make you, in, like, incredibly happy.
0: Cool. All right. I won't take more of your time. Thank you so much for spending some time talking with us. And Thank good you. luck at the regionals.
1: Cheers, Mel. Thank you for
0: having me. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the end. Don't forget, we have a brand-new episode every day this week until the athletes hit the regionals' floor. So come back tomorrow and And join us as we chat to Jamie Light from CrossFit Asia. Jamie owns not only the oldest gym in the continent, he's also going to talk to us about what it takes to bring teams back to the regionals year after year. With an incredible track record under his belt, you will want to listen to this episode. Until then, see you guys tomorrow.